This is the Finding the Founders podcast, episode 24. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to the Finding the Founders podcast. I am your host, Nathan Burr, and as always, I want to thank you for tuning in to this podcast. Today I want to talk about a Bible verse that is very popular with a lot of American Christians. It's a verse that you see on wall hangings and throw pillows. Do people still embroider throw pillows or is is that a dated reference? You see it on wall hangings. You see it on Facebook in memes having to do with America or patriotism. You see it atop church bulletins or message boards. Maybe you even hear it in a sermon. That verse is Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. A lot of people, I think, when they read that verse, hear something a little different. If Christians in America, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will make America great again. Now, I don't mean this to be a knock against Donald Trump or Trump followers. The Make America Great Again slogan brilliantly captures what so many of us feel, what so many of us desire. But if you change the wording and and replace it with something else that captures that same sentiment, that's how a lot of people, I think, hear this verse. If if we humble ourselves and pray and repent and turn from our wicked ways, God's going to fix all our economic problems, God's going to fix our political problems, God's going to make America great again. There's a problem with this line of thinking, however, with this interpretation of the verse. And it can lead to disillusionment and discouragement and even disbelief. And I'll get to that in a moment. But first, I want to go into why this is, this is not what the verse says and why we shouldn't be using the verse in the way we do. We are guilty in Christianity, and I think perhaps particularly in America, of taking verses out of their context, sometimes ripping them out of their context. We read and we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we go to any and every verse in the Bible and we think it ought to have direct application to our lives. But all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness only when we properly understand that Scripture in its original context. When we know why it was written and who it was written to. Not every verse in the Old Testament is going to have application to our lives. Not every chapter, not every book 
is going to have a lot of direct application to our lives. Sometimes, as a friend of mine says, knowledge of the Word of God is application enough. We don't need to go looking for a specific direct application to the 21st century in every single verse. Sometimes we're seeing a snapshot that is part of a larger mosaic that helps us have an understanding of who God is and of the message He has communicated to us. But that little snapshot in and of itself doesn't tell us much. Second Chronicles 7.14 can't be properly understood and certainly not properly applied without Second Chronicles 7.13. And in fact, without Second Chronicles 7 and Second Chronicles 6, for that matter. In Second Chronicles 6, we see the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. And we see a long prayer from Solomon in which he called upon God to keep the covenant he made to his father David, to hear from heaven when the people prayed, when the people sought forgiveness, when the people sought assistance. And in 2 Chronicles 7, we see the Lord filling the temple, coming down to dwell in the temple. And in 2 Chronicles 7, 12, we read about the Lord appearing to Solomon. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Second Chronicles 7.13 When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Stop. Please note, God does not say when the political winds are blowing in the wrong direction. When you've made a host of bad choices and enacted liberal policies that have led to moral decay. When you have had your election hijacked and a senile old pervert is in the White House. He doesn't say any of those things. Now, we could assume that this verse is meant to be all-inclusive of any blight that might come upon a group of people, but we stray into a very dangerous minefield when we start saying that literal words of Scripture mean whatever we want them to mean. No, he said, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. You say, okay, well, let's take it literally. What about the plague? What about COVID-19? God didn't send COVID-19. Anthony Fauci did. The liberal media did. But for the sake of argument, let's ignore Second Chronicles 7.13. Let's assume that Second Chronicles 7.14 applies to whatever situation we want to apply it to. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, we need to stop again. Who is this talking about? See, we read that, if my people, and we think the church, we think Christians, we think believers. But 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, was speaking about the Jews. Was speaking about the nation of Israel. God's chosen people that he had called from Abraham and said, you will have many descendants, and, had, and whom he had delivered out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. If my people. Now you say, wait a second, doesn't 
the New Testament teach us that we are God's chosen people? That we have been grafted in? Yes, it does. We, the Gentiles, are, are recipients of salvation, just like the Jews. And Paul writes, there is, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. All are one in Christ. But that doesn't mean that every single promise God made to the Jewish people or to a Jewish person is a promise to Joe Believer in 2022. The temple that Solomon built and, and dedicated was destroyed about 400 years later by Nebuchadnezzar. And the curtain that hung in the replacement temple that was built after that, that was in existence at the time of Christ, was torn in two from top to bottom when Christ was crucified. That the way to the most holy place, we're told, had been opened. We no longer need the priestly system. We no longer need the temple to have access to God. In other words, this agreement between Solomon and God, where God is dwelling in the temple, and where the people come to the temple to have access to God, is not in effect. It is, it is no longer in place. And yet, we are trying to claim that promise. But even for the moment, let's assume that it's, it's talking about our current situation, and let's assume, for the sake of argument, that we are the people being referenced. If we humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That leaves us with the question of what land? The Jewish people were directly connected to land, the promised land that God had given them. He'd set out the boundaries and parameters. He said, this is your land. It is for you. If you follow me, it will always be for you. Christians today, believers today, the church today, doesn't have land. I guess you could say the, the, the pieces of property that the churches sit on, maybe, maybe believers' individual home properties that they, technically the bank owns, will be healed. But that's not how we read it. We read it, again, God's going to make America great again. He's going to heal our land. If he's going to heal our land, will he also heal the land of the Chinese Christians? If they humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, will he, will he heal the Russian land? Is all that standing between the, the very small minority of Christians in Iran and a free democratic republic, the fact that they have not gotten on their knees before God and repented and turned from their wickedness? I don't think so. And you see, the problem comes when we read a verse like this and we take it out of its context and we make it say something that it's not really saying and we apply it to our lives, if suddenly that promise doesn't come true, we get discouraged. We get disheartened. We start to question, wait a second, why isn't God fulfilling his promise? Why isn't God doing what he said? And we start to doubt and question God instead of doubting and questioning ourselves for claiming a promise that we ought not to claim. God is faithful, and everything he has promised, he will do. 
but he won't necessarily do the things he hasn't promised to do. Now, I want to be clear in what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying throw the Old Testament out, none of it's relevant for today. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray and ask God, for lack of a better phrase, to make America great again. I absolutely think we should. I've implored people to do that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't live righteous and holy lives or follow biblical principles as people and as a country. I think we should. I'm not even saying that there isn't very likely a correlation between doing those things and, and seeing uh, a quote-unquote healed land. I think if we pray for America, if Christians diligently and fervently pray for America, the country will be much better off than if we don't. I think if we base our society and our structure of, of government on the Ten Commandments, we'll be in a much better place than if we base it on do what feels good. I think we've seen that in our past. I think we see the opposite of that in our present. What I am saying is there is not a biblical promise we can claim that says that is a fact. If Christians humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, he's going to make America great or return America to political, economic, whatever prominence. That promise is not in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that very often when God's people are devout and follow God wholeheartedly and do the things He has asked them to do and live in the way that He has asked them to live, their reward is an eternal reward. Doesn't mean health and wealth and prosperity here and now. Sometimes it does. Again, there, I think there's a correlation between righteous living and, and, and things working out well for you. But not always. Not promised, and certainly not promised to us by Second Chronicles 7.14. It's a great verse. It is not a great verse for us today as Christians in America seeking a, a revival of our country's values and principles. Typically, I close these episodes with a quote from a founding father or some other political figure. Today, I'm going to quote from an unknown source, the author of the book of Hebrews, who in the 11th chapter went on to list a slew of people who exhibited that they were living by faith. And he concluded by showing how, how many of these people suffered greatly. They were, they were killed, they were tortured, uh, they, they were abandoned, despite living righteously, despite obeying God, despite following Him. And again, I do not want to take this verse and tell you that this is a prescription for America, but it does touch on the idea that I've just mentioned, that sometimes our reward is an eternal reward. Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect.